let's deal with the definition of cornucopia. The first definition is talking about the actual uh, cornucopia itself, an ornamental container shaped like a goat's horn. But I didn't know this. Not only is, is it describing a specific object, we actually, in the few places that use it in our language today, we actually use it as an adjective and a noun. Very interesting word, versatile word. It also means an abundant supply of good things of a specified kind. It also means more than enough. So you could say that uh, when we have food pantry here in a couple of weeks, that everybody that comes is going to get a cornucopia or an abundant supply of good things of a specified kind. I don't want to wear you out, but I want you to say that with me. An abundant supply of good things of a specified kind. Okay. And then the last and third definition is more than enough. There's no shortage of bad news around us. Uh, virus is increasing. More shutdowns are happening in more states. There's political tension like we've never seen in our country. And fear is rising everywhere in the world. But God has not changed. I'm going to say that again, just in case you didn't know. God has not changed. Another announcement, heaven is not enduring a pandemic. There is no pandemic or health crisis in heaven. Heaven is not dealing with an economic crisis, and there is no shortage of supply in heaven. Heaven is run by and ruled by a God that the scripture describes as a God of an overabundant supply. I just like saying that. I'm going to say it again if you don't mind. Heaven is ruled by a God of an overabundant supply. One of the compound names for God in the Old Testament is Jehovah Jireh. The Lord is my provider and provision. The Lord is my provider, and not only is he my provider, but he himself is the provision. That's why it's impossible for a real believer to lack. David said, I've never seen the righteous forsaken or his seed begging for bread. Because if you're a real believer, not only do you have the provider, but the provider is the provision. There will never be a time I won't walk in provision and no provision because my provider is. And God is able to take what the world is calling the worst year on record and turn it into a cornucopia of a season for you. And the reason I'm preaching this this week and next week is because when I was praying for you, I'm not, a, I'm not a seer generally. That's one of my dad's spiritual gifts, but I'm not. Uh, the Lord can use me to prophesy at certain times, and I hear certain things at times, and, and primarily my gift functions through speaking. But I'm not really a seer. And so when I do see something, it really freaks me out. And, and in prayer, I saw a cornucopia and I started studying it. And I found all these definitions. And the Lord told me to come in here and tell you it's going to be a cornucopia of a season for you. Some of you have been wringing your hands and been worried because 
there's threats and there's fear and there's all kind of negativity going on and you've allowed your mind and spirit to dip into some sort of morbid toxicity but God wanted me to remind you he is still able to supply all of your need according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus and while everybody else may be having dark times it's going to be a cornucopia of a season for the church it's going to be a cornucopia of a season for believers God God can still blow your touch three people say cornucopia 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 now I want us a little too much up there I want to give you two case studies two simple case studies of the cornucopia kind of God okay two case studies number one we'll go to John chapter 2 and I want you to I want to set this up for you we're going to deal with uh, the first miracle Jesus performed. And if you're taking notes, the first miracle Jesus performed uh, was not mandated by God. It was persuaded by man. Okay. Law of first mention is very important. Anything that happens first, especially with God, is very important. So it's interesting that the first miracle, when you're dealing with the subject of miracles, the first miracle was not mandated by the agenda of God. It was persuaded by the will of man. God can be persuaded. I'm going to say that over here because y'all sleepy. Somebody had their coffee over here. God can be persuaded. All right. So, so during... 70 years of Babylonian captivity, the nation of Israel, uh, the Babylonians came in and not only did they conquer Israel, but they deported them. They took them out of their own country. And when all of the Jews left their nation, the nation was repopulated by all the surrounding nations. You know, all the Jews left and all the Gentiles just, just came in. They took their land. Well, after the Babylonians allowed the Jews to return. The Jews came and took their land back and they begin to rebuild. They begin to reestablish themselves in their own land. They reclaimed and rebuilt the cities and regions of their nation, all of them except for Galilee. In fact, that's how Galilee got its name. The name Galilee means circle of Gentiles. Circle of Gentiles. So what we're looking at is the very top of the nation of Israel. And there's just that little circle there where all in the southern areas and from really from coast to coast, Israel came in and they reestablished themselves. But all of the squatters and the Gentiles and all the people that, that uh, didn't leave, they all landed in Galilee. And as a result, Galilee was hated by the rest of the nation. It was looked down upon. Uh, there was a lot of racism against people from Galilee. Um, and so, you know, Galilee was not treated kindly in the economic plan of the nation. They weren't treated kindly with the importing and exporting of goods. In fact, if you lived in Galilee, you had to import your goods from uh, a nearby city. Because Galilee was a ghetto. It was not prosperous. They did not have an overabundance of supplies. And doing a little digging and some research, I found out that if you were from Galilee and you went to another town to buy some supplies, food, groceries, whatever it was, that they would put a cap on how much you could purchase 
just because you were from Galilee. And that made it extremely inconvenient if you were having a large party or, you know, something like a wedding. In John chapter 2, verse 1, it says, On the third day there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Now, both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. Now, Jesus knows this is the year he's going to start his ministry. He selected his disciples. That was the first step. And he's got work to do. But he's interrupted by an invitation to a wedding in the ghetto. I don't know if you've ever been to a wedding in the ghetto or a ghetto wedding. Some of y'all ain't saying nothing because you had a ghetto wedding. And you, but. but it seems odd to me that Jesus, you know, the Messiah, the Savior of the world, you know, he, he takes time out. He presses pause right when he's about to launch his ministry. He presses pause to go to a ghetto wedding. And the, the scripture is clear that he is not there with any spiritual or kingdom agenda. He's there because he was invited. God can still be pulled into your circumstances even if they're not on his agenda. I want to say that again because I, I want you to catch that. God can be pulled into your circumstances even if they're not on his agenda. So verse 3, And when they ran out of wine, the mother of Jesus said to him, Now some of the commentaries suggest that Mary was the wedding planner. You know, she had put it all together. Verse three, when they ran out of wine, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. Might I point out to you that this is not Jesus' problem? I mean, really, it's not even a problem at all. Y'all drink all the wine, you know, go home. Most people that came to Jesus had real problems, you know, blind Bartimaeus, blind, you know, Mary and Martha went after Jesus because Lazarus was sick and dying. You know, the woman with the issue of blood had been bleeding for 12 years and she crawled and grabbed the hem of his garment. Most people that sought out Jesus came to him with real trouble. Running out of wine does not require divine intervention. This is not Jesus' problem, and yet he adopts the problem to reveal to us that he cares about the little things. I want to pause right there and tell somebody that's been just putting your prayers on hold, and every time you thought about praying about that little thing, you just, you didn't even do it because you said, you know, God, he's got so much going on. There's so many people praying, and he's, he's got the whole universe to run, and God, why would you care about that? No, the scripture tells us this, so we'll know. God cares about the little things. He'll listen to the little things, and and then verse four, Jesus said to his mama, woman, 
Don't try that. That's Jesus talking. But he's frustrated. You know, woman, uh, what does your concern have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. Now, if you're not careful, you'll read that and you'll think he's, he's frustrated and kind of got off with that she would have the nerve to come up and ask him, you know, for some wine. That's not why he's upset. He's frustrated because this was not the hour that God, the Father, had intended or scheduled his ministry to start. And I'm sure it wasn't the way he wanted his ministry. I mean, what would all the gossips say? You know how church people are about alcohol. the Messiah could start. You're going to turn water into, that's your debut? You know? So he's frustrated that, that it's not the right time. It's not the right season. In other words, heaven hasn't scheduled this miracle. It's not on God's agenda. But because they invited him, because he was there anyway, he decides to break his own preordained order and give them an unscheduled miracle. He's going to give them a miracle that heaven didn't mandate, but that earth persuaded. And I want to tell you, God still performs unscheduled miracles. Something that wasn't ordered in eternity's past. Something that wasn't in the mind of God thousands of years ago. That God can still be persuaded by the needs and the wants of people who've invited him in unscheduled miracles. I don't know who it's for, but somebody's going to get an unscheduled out of season miracle before the end of this year. I didn't just come to teach a Bible lesson. I came to prophesy somebody that's not even been expecting it. It's not ordered. It's not on the calendar. Something that wasn't supposed to happen is going to happen for you before the end of the year. Something you didn't believe would happen. It's just something good. It's going to happen before the end of the year cornucopia type of season is going to break out before the end of the year for somebody because he still performs unscheduled miracles. You mean, you mean to come in here and prophesy to me about this year, this hell of a year cornucopia, watch your mailbox cornucopia, watch your phone cornucopia, watch your inbox and your email cornucopia because God still performs unscheduled miracles. I like the, the contrast between verse four and verse five. Verse four, what's this got to do with me? It's not my concern. And then verse five, his mother said to the servants, whatever he says to you to do, do it. Mary was bad. You know, hey, uh, we have no wine. What's that got to do with me? It's not my time. Whatever he says to you to do, do it. And walks off just bad, you know? Why did she say that? He didn't agree to do it. Didn't sound like he wanted to do it. But she had enough faith to believe that he's able to ask and then to leave it in his hands. That's a great three-step process right there. Believe, ask, 
and leave it in his hands. Help me spread that over this church. Elbow your neighbor and say, believe, ask, and leave it in his hands. I know you got some stuff you're worried about. In fact, for some of you, that's why you came to church, to get a word for the anxiety and the difficulty that you're dealing with. Some of you need this, and this is the only thing you need today. Believe he's able. Then ask, and then leave it in his hands. Stop trying to carry it and make it happen for yourself. If you could have done it, you already would have. What you need to do with that pain and that trauma and that anxiety and that request is believe ask and leave it in his hands. In other words, Mary's saying, I don't know what he's going to do. I don't know how he's going to do it, but I had enough faith to believe and ask and leave it in his hands. And what I do know is that he will do something. I don't know if he's going to run to the store real quick with supernatural speed. I don't know if he's going to cause a supernatural, you know, wine barrel to appear in the, in the hall. I don't know what he's going to do. It's his business to figure out how he's going to do it. All I know is I asked him and he will do something. Prayer is never wasted. Even if God doesn't do what you wanted him to do like you wanted him to do it. When you go to God in prayer, he will always do something. So she believes, she asks, and then she leaves it in his hands. And notice that she prepared the servants before he even agreed to do the miracle. Are y'all following this text with me? You know. Verse four, you know, it's not my concern. What's that got to do with me? It's not time yet, you know? And then she immediately turns to them and brings all the servants over to him. Y'all stand right here. Now look at him. Now whatever he says to do, do it. Do you have the faith to prepare for what's coming while you're still dealing with what is? <laughs> oh, yeah. Do you have the faith to prepare for what your future is going to bring you while you're still living with the mess you're dealing with today. And by, by involving the servants, Mary activates a spiritual law. She puts a demand on Jesus by creating an atmosphere of expectancy because she knows that God cannot resist expectancy. And the more expectancy you get in a room, the more God you get in a room. And so, and so it starts out just Mary expecting, hey, we're out of wine. You want to do something? And then he doesn't give her the answer she wants. So she goes and gets all the servants. And now all the servants are expecting. They're not expecting the same thing Mary was expecting, but they're expecting something because Mary told them that he was going to say something to them and tell them something to do. So now you got Mary looking for wine and all the servants looking like, for what are we going to do? And it's creating a magnetic field of expectancy that is drawing Jesus deeper and deeper and deeper into the circumstance. You can never discount the power of your expectancy when you come to God. But 
the real spiritual pandemic that we're living in today, and it's, it's more real and more dangerous than the pandemic going on in the earth, is the church is dealing with an all-time low of expectancy. The enemy has been attacking us, and the attack has been a diversion. He's trying to use trouble and stressful situations to drain you of your expectancy. It's not that you're not coming to church anymore. It's just that you're coming here with no expectancy. It's not that you're not reading the Bible. It's that when you read it, there is no expectancy. It's not that you're not singing praise and worship songs, but when you're singing it, you're not doing it with any expectancy. And it is the expectancy that puts the pull and the demand on God. If you knew how powerful expectancy was, you would never go through praise and worship the same again. If you knew how powerful expectancy was, you would never sit through a sermon the same way again. It is your expectancy of him. It is your demand and your belief that he's able and he will do something for you that causes a charge in the spirit. And my question is, does anybody need something from God this morning? Why did you come? Does anybody need healing? Does anybody need a miracle? Does anybody need a fresh touch? Does anybody need a demon driven out of your house? Does anybody need a breakthrough in your situation? Bring that expectancy to God. The attack that's been leveled against you is not about the thing that's been attacked. The attack that's been leveled against you is a diversion to take your attention and your awareness away. That slowly but surely, as the years have crept by, you don't come to your God with the same level of expectancy that you used to. You don't believe deep down like you used to believe. You don't have that knowing in the spirit that there is nothing impossible for your God. It's not the first place you go anymore when trouble comes. You used to go to your prayer room first. Now you're calling people and trying to get man's counsel for something that God could get you out of in a second. But because our expectancy has waned, our miracles have. Because our expectancy has waned, the presence of God in our services has. Because our expectancy has grown dim, the power and the light of the Holy Spirit within us has grown dim to the point that we can sit in a service where people are exalting Jesus and the same people who used to lift their hands and worship and cry now sit there and feel nothing. We've grown cold in our heart. We've grown callous over our worship. We've grown indifferent to the things of God and the real thing behind it. It's not that we're reprobate in our mind. It's not that we haven't been taught. It's not that we don't know all of this stuff. It's we've let attacks in other areas of our life and continual disappointment cause us to come to God like we're used to going to everybody else. You know what the general feeling of most people is when you have to go to another person or a stranger and ask for something? What is it? You don't expect much. I, somebody was in the grocery line uh, ahead of me the other day at, at a little store, or gas station or something, and th their, their card didn't work. And it was like $12 or something. And I said, that's all right. Just put it on mine. You would have thought 
this person that I'd given them a win, a winning lotto ticket. It was just so amazing to them that somebody was kind enough to give them $8. Why did, why did it shock them? Because they weren't expecting much. Waking up in the morning, having your coffee, getting in the car, not expecting much. Going through your weeks and your months and even this year, not expecting much. And if you do expect something, you expect something bad. But I came to remind you, you serve a God of overabundant supply. A God who will bless you just to do it. Just because he's a good God. What do you need from the Lord? Get your praise out. Get your expectancy out. Get your faith out. Make some noise in this house like you know you believe he's able. Ah, you don't hear me this morning. Oh, I'm preaching it, but you don't hear me this morning. I said he's able. Are you sick in your body? He's able. Do you need a financial miracle? He is able. Do you need promotion and elevation? He is able. You need your sin sick soul saved? He's able. Mary. Mary. Why well, should I say that? It's just true. Mary is using what she knows about him to manipulate the circumstance. And just for a moment, consider with me how amazing it is that God can be argued with. See, some of you didn't know that because you don't read your Bible. That God made a decision to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah and Abraham started arguing with him. And God got so deep into the argument that God kept lowering the count of righteous people he would need. And Mary is using this tactic of creating a frenzy of expectancy all around Jesus. And, and, and now, you know, he, uh, he looks at all these people in verse 6, says there were Set there, just happened to be there, six water pots of stone. Miracles never come through what you don't have. They always come through what's already there. There were six water pots of stone. According to the manner of purification of the Jews, and each one of them containing 20 or 30 gallons apiece. And Jesus finally... Fill the water pots with water. Now, Moses has started the tradition of ceremonial washing even when you were away from the temple. When you had mass gathering, you had you know, a party or a wedding or something that they would put purification containers to where people could go in and do the ceremonial washing. And his mindset behind that was, I don't want you just to participate in worship rituals at the temple because then you'll leave your faith at the church. I want to put it in every sector of your society. So every time you walk by one, you go and you go through the ceremonial washing. And you're reminded of your need to be purified by the cleansing water of God's word. Okay. So he put them everywhere. But 
the Jews had rejected and kind of viewed this as an old fogey tradition, you know, just that's old time religion. There's not much to it. You know, Moses, poor old Moses, you know, he did that. We don't really do that anymore. I mean, we're modern people. These are modern times. We have minds. We can think past that. Blah, 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 blah. It's just the cute little water pots for the ceremony, worship ritual, yada, yada, yada. But God is about to make new wine flow out of an old tradition. And I want to encourage this generation of the church. Don't forsake your traditions of worship. There is still power when you lift your hands and sing a song to your God. There is still power when you clap your hands and make a joyful noise to the Lord. There's still power when you hold that little communion cup and you hold that wafer. There is still power when you get water baptized. There is still power when you bring yourself to an altar. Something spiritual still happens. So Jesus said, I'm going to make what you're desperate for. Come out of what you've forsaken. I'm going to make the new wine come out of the old. So I can remind you that Moses got these traditions from me. That I was the one that told you. Clap your hands, all ye people, that I was the one that told you to lift up your hands in the sanctuary, that I was the one that told you to praise him on the high-sounding cymbals, that I was the one that told you to sing hymns unto the Lord and make melody in your heart, that I was the one that told you to forsake not the assembling of yourselves, get yourself to church, that I was the one that told you Sometimes God will make something fresh come out of something old just to show you. Yeah, it was me behind it. It was me behind it. I was giving the instruction. I was... These six one, two, three, four, five, six stone water pots, each of them weighing 20 to 30 gallons. You want to know what I want you to do? She, she said, whatever I said to do, do it. Well, here's what I want you to do. Go fill each six of these 30-gallon water pots up to the brim with water. And, you know, 30 gallons, about 245 pounds, plus the weight of the stone container, that's heavy lifting. It's real heavy lifting when you didn't ask for water. Why is it that when you go to God talking about one thing, he often answers you talking about another? Have you ever prayed for wine and he answered... Did he hear me? Water is not wine. Fill these six stone water pots up with water. And at the end of this first little case study, I know I'm talking to people that have been praying to God about one thing 
and all you've been hearing is about something else. But I want to remind you that dedication always comes before transformation. When you can show God you are dedicated to his instruction, when you can show God you're dedicated to his word, when you can show God you're not scared of the labor that the process might entail, God will always give you transformation when you've passed the test of dedication. Our problem today is though, if it don't happen with the first five trips to the water to fill up the first pot, we want to quit and walk out on God. That's why far more Christians aren't receiving everything that's available to them because they have not passed the test of dedication. These men were dedicated and they filled them up. And then Jesus transformed and turned the water pots with the water into a cornucopia of wine. Second case study, John chapter 6. Let's just read the whole thing. I'll pick out a few things of it. John chapter 6, verse 1. After these things, Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. Oh, both these things happen around Galilee. Huh. Then a great multitude followed him because they saw his signs, which he performed on those who were diseased. And Jesus went up on the mountain. He sat with his disciples. They were celebrating the Passover. Verse 5, Jesus lifted up his eyes, seeing a great multitude coming toward him. He said to Philip, Phil, where shall we buy bread that these may eat? But this he said to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered, oh, 200 denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them that every one of them may have a little Philip had the, had the box with the ministry's uh, offerings and, and accounts and money in it, you know. So Phil just quickly ran through, you know, the ministry's finance report and said, all we have is 200 denarii, and, and that wouldn't be enough to feed these 5,000 men plus women and children. Verse 8, one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there's a lad here who has uh, five barley loaves and two small fish, but what are they among so many? Then Jesus said, make the people sit down. There was much grass in the place, so the men sat down in number about 5,000. Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, and when he had given thanks, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to the disciples and the disciples to those sitting down, and likewise of the fish as much as they wanted. When they were filled, he said to his disciples, gather up the fragments that remain so nothing is lost. Therefore, they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets, cornucopia, and filled 12 baskets with the fragments of the five barley loaves, which were left over by those who had eaten. Just, just a couple of verses, and I'm done. In verse 5, he asked Philip, hey, uh, where, where can we buy bread? And the scripture says he was testing him. If he was testing him, what was the test? Well, here's the questions on Phil's test. Phil, considering where we are out here in this desert, where do you suppose we could buy enough bread to feed all these people? Jesus, are you crazy? Are you having a moment? We're in the desert. Ain't no place to buy bread around here. Yeah, but if there was, 
how much money would it take to feed all these people? Jesus, all we got is 200 denarii, and that's not enough that every one of them could have just a little you know, snack, a little morsel, a little bite. Why is Jesus demanding an account from Philip? Because miracles don't begin until you get to the end of natural possibilities. When it is impossible, that's where God starts. He won't even start when it's possible because God will not do things for us that we can do for ourselves. But if you find yourself in a situation that is impossible, that's where God starts. Then verse 8 and 9, one of the disciples, Andrew, he was Simon Peter's brother, he said, well, there is a lad here who has five small barley loaves and two small fish. Listen at the way he's talking about that, that, that meal. He's five little small barley loaves and two small fish. And then he gets an attitude and says, but what are they among so many people? This is a good point. This is going to be worth you coming to church. Don't let the need you're facing cause you to discount what has been provided. Y'all have that note? Somebody needs to take a picture of it. Y'all have that note upstairs? Did we get that one? Okay. Don't let the need you're facing cause you to discount what has been provided. The disciples, he's, he's, he's being ungrateful. You may not have as much as you want, but you do have something. You know, what are they among so many? You know what they are? They're proof that God is faithful because it may not be as much as you want, but God did not leave you with nothing. He did provide something. Next point. I don't know if they'll have this one either, but it's good. Focus on what is there, not what isn't. Oh, I knew y'all gonna hate that because we like to walk around with our lip out over what is not in our lives, over what money is not there, over what people is not there, over what possessions are not there. We get all bent out of shape over what is not there. And when we do that, we fail to recognize what God did provide. You walk around in your marriage and you focus on what's not there. Well, what is there? Y'all hated that one worse than the one I just did. You know? What is there? Why would the focus, what is that about you? That the focus is always on what's not working. What's not there. You know? Every time you wake up in the morning, if anything's going wrong, that's what gets the attention. You know? My pinky toe hurts. Oh, my pinky toe hurts. I don't know what's going on in my body. I need to go get the doctor and get checked out. Something is going on in my pinky toe. 99% of the rest of your body is functioning perfectly. Went to the bathroom by yourself, got up, mine worked well enough for you to brush your teeth, put deodorant on at the same time. Your smell works, your taste works, your hearing works, your fingers work, everything else is working, but your focus. Stare there at me. I don't care. I'm going to preach my message. You're unhappy because you're focused on what isn't there instead of what is. 
you're too blessed to be appreciative. Things have been so good for you that you have the luxury of being depressed over trivial things. When if you've got running water in your house, you're richer than 70% of the world's population. If you have more than one pair of shoes in your closet, you're richer than over 80% of the world's population. But look at you with all your shoes and all your clothes and your fridge full of food, popping anxiety pills and depression pills and drinking yourself into a stupor to escape the woes of your poor life because you're focused on what is not there instead of what What are we going to do with this? It's not enough. It's not enough to feed all these people. It's not enough. It's how you sound. It's not enough. Looking at your account on your phone. It's not enough. Jesus said to Andrew when he said that, bring what we do have to me. Jesus never mentions what they don't have. He said, get what we do have and bring it to my hand. Jesus never mentions what wasn't provided. He says, bring me what was provided and put it in my hand. Because the only reason that bread and fish is here is because God sent it. Verse 10, he said, make the people sit down. Get ready. I'm about to do something for you. Make the people sit down. I'm about to bust a cornucopia up in here. Make the people sit down. I'm about to show you what faith in God can do. Make the people sit down. Because when you see this, you better be sitting down. Make the people sit down. And they sat down. Verse 11, and Jesus took the loaves. Here's the key to the whole miracle. If you ever wondered about this miracle, you ever wonder when the multiplication happened, you ever wonder where the power was, was Jesus pulling the fish sandwiches out of his sleeve, did you ever wonder how it took place? Here it is! And when he had given... It's right there if you just read the Bible. I said when he had given thanks, that's when he distributed. In other words... The thankfulness multiplied what was already there. When you focus on what you don't have, what you don't have multiplies. But when you're thankful and you focus on thankfulness, then what you do have Thankfulness is the key to multiplication. 
feel like I'm just hitting you with a sledgehammer and you're not budging. Thankfulness is the key to multiplication. If you want to have what you already have multiplied, be thankful for it. If you want to have what you already have reduced, discount it, complain about it, say, what are these in face of so much need? It's not enough. It's not this. It's not that. Complaining will cause you to decrease. Thankfulness will cause you to increase. Now, I knew I needed to give you this point and spend a little extra time on it when I told you in the beginning of the service to go up to somebody and tell them what you were thankful for and you walked over like a dead fish flopping after all the life had gone out of it. I'm thankful for... I could tell you weren't excited about the instruction. And it's not just because you're antisocial. Some of you are very social. But you just walked in here with a down, defeated, dead, depressed, heavy cloak all over you. And what you don't realize is God's sending this word like a prescription medication to get you ready to be multiplied in your life. To get you ready for a promotion that'll take your salary three times higher. To get you ready for new houses and new availabilities and, and new assignments and new missions for God. It's an assignment to get you ready for what's coming, but what's coming requires. Jesus took that five loaves, two fish, and he's standing in front of all these people, way more people than this, standing in front of 5,000 people, and he's, and he's got these five loaves of bread and two fishes, and he looks up to God. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Really, really, thank you. See, until you can be thankful for what you do have, you're not qualified to be multiplied. Some of you sowed for blessings you'll never receive because your unthankfulness cancels God's hand to be able to move towards your life. Thankfulness. That was the key. When he had given thanks, he just unleashed a cornucopia on those people. I have come today to prophesy and to instruct. If you will learn to focus on what is there, focus on what is working. You know how I can tell you're focusing on what is working and what is there? Your mouth always reveals your focus. Why is it we talk more about what's wrong than we talk about what's right? Do you know what you would do if you woke up and you were having a great day tomorrow, you didn't have any pain in your body, had plenty of money in your account, and you were able to just live your life without any stress for tomorrow? You know what? You wouldn't say anything. You would just go through the day and be happy that you didn't have nothing to complain about. But you wouldn't say anything. Okay. You got to wake up in the morning and consciously talk about and focus 
on what is working. You got to wake up in the morning and have it in your mind and in your mouth what is going right. Husbands and wives are terrible about this. We think our spouse is our complaint receptacle. It's like we look at our spouse and we think the number one reason you're here is to catch all this mess I'm about to throw. And if you spent half as that's a lie, if you spent a quarter of as much time talking about what's going right, talk about what's going right with your kids. God knows y'all been going nuts about what's going wrong. Talk about what's going right. Talk about what's going right in the finances. Talk about what's going right in the relationship. Talk about what's going right. Find a way to compliment your spouse. Even if they've let themselves go and they look terrible, compliment their eyelashes. That went over real big too. My goodness, this is fire up in here today. Say something good. Talk something good. Be thankful for something good. And if you don't want to do it because you're a terrible person, that's okay. Do it for, no, church is for terrible people. If you don't want to do it because you're a terrible person and you like being mean and you like being selfish, then be thankful for selfish reasons. Because the more thankful you are, the more you will multiply by default. Now that was worth you coming to church for. Stand to your feet, put your hands together, and give your God a thankful praise. No, give him a thankful praise. Is there anybody so thankful you can start jumping? Is there anybody so thankful you can start screaming? Hey! Thankful praise. Something good. Something good. Something good in your life. Get it in your mind and give God a praise. Oh, yeah. three people and tell them one thing you're thankful for. Run over to three people and tell them one thing you're thankful for. Run over to three people. Give me three comments. What are you thankful for? Say it with a smile. Say it with faith. Encourage somebody else's faith. What are you thankful for? churchy in here all of a sudden. See what a little thankfulness will do? I said when he had 
giving thanks. Oh, I feel the anointing now. Y'all done messed up. When he had given thanks, then. See, you didn't know it, but while you were telling somebody what you were thankful for, God was dropping a blessing that's going to hit you this week. I said, while you were telling your neighbor something you were thankful for, you better testify and call me when it hits you. You better let me know when it hits you. Somebody's getting blessed this week because of a thankful testimony. <laughs> when he had given thanks, then... He distributed. Now, he fed 5,000 men, not counting women and children that day. And the Bible said when all the people had eaten and were full. Cornucopia. When they had all eaten and were full. That they filled up 12 cornucopias. 12 baskets of plenty, 12 baskets of more than enough, 12. Now it bothers me because Jesus is omniscient, omniscience knows all things. He knows how hungry each one of those jokers are, some more hungry than others. He knows how much needs to be made in order for them all to eat. And he made too much on purpose cornucopia and abundance of good things of a specified kind two case studies a cornucopia of wine because they asked for it cornucopia of fish and bread. I want to be the voice countering everything else you're hearing in this earth in this season. Watch your life. If you'll open your mouth with thankfulness, God will fill it with good things. I prophesy blessing coming over your life in the name of Jesus. I prophesy strength coming over your life in the name of Jesus. I prophesy increase, not decrease. I prophesy health, not sickness. I prophesy peace, not war. I prophesy that in the middle of it all, come what may, that the God of all grace that the exceeding abundantly above all we can ask or think God will begin to reveal himself and move in your life in special ways. I prophesy before the end of the year some kind of cornucopia in your life in the name of Jesus. If you receive it, give him a great praise.